Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening. My name is Good evening, my name is Ashley Carter. We're here with the Drift of Freedom for Black History Tours. We now have caller 0054. We're still waiting for one more caller. I'll give him a couple more seconds and then we'll start the show. Okay, we're just going to go ahead and start the show. Um, This show is in reference to Troy Davidson and his execution and his case as well. Um, Would the first guest like to briefly um, tell what they know about Troy Troy Davidson's execution and his case? Um, The most that I know about it has been going on for a long time. Um, He was executed for killing a cop uh, over I have no idea what so far, but I do know in my well, in my own, own opinion, I believe that the execution was wrong. Um, it should have been well thought out, and I don't feel like the Supreme Court actually took the time to go over details of the entire case, even though I know there are other parameters within the case. Um, I feel like he should at least got some kind of reprieve besides the couple of hours that they gave him. Right, right. And right now we have our second caller on the line right now, 4029. Um, would you briefly like to describe what you know about the Troy Davis, Davis um, case and execution? Uh, hi, guys. My name is Jeremy. Um, I think just overall – I don't want to put this. It it kind of showed, in a sense, how we could come together for a cause. I think, you know, it was an overall kind of a negative moment, but at the same time, I think it kind of showed the magnitude of what we could try to do if there was more time. Um, I don't know what else you want me to say about it, just uh, what I thought of the whole thing, or... Just, um, yeah, how you thought about the whole case as a whole. Well, I think if he would have had, like, better lawyers in the beginning, like, 20 years ago, because it just seemed like he, if he had had a better representation, they might have been able to get him off. Because, you know, 20 years from the case, seven of the nine witnesses changed their opinion. So I think if he had been better represented from, from the, the jump, it could have been a better result. Right. So I think that's one, so, of, one of the main things that could have been changed. So this um, question is for um, both of the guests. It seems like there's been a lot of people saying that once the case started, once his execution 
was um, a day away or three days away, a lot of people start getting on the bandwagon and start doing the protests that they didn't know about the whole case that started in 1989. Um, do you feel that that was true? Do you think a lot of people just all of a sudden wanted to be a part of it, but they wasn't a part of the long-term, long-term result that happened in 1989? I think as long as you are aware, period, then then you're aware. Um, I know that people did jump on the bandwagon like a day ahead of, or a day before or the day of, but as long as people knew about it, you know, that's all that really matters because the end result is still getting justice for all, you know, and it, this doesn't just end with Troy Davis. This isn't like it's a lot of people in jail right now who are innocent and who may be on death row and who are innocent and may die innocent. And we don't know about all of that because it's not always um, in the media like that. It's not always televised like that. I mean, you're not really going to know about it unless somebody puts it out there. So, I, like, it doesn't really matter how what time frame they found out about it. Yes, they could they could have found out about it a long time ago, but, you know, as long as you know about it and as long as you're trying to help do something about it, you know, I don't feel like it's, it's that much of a bad thing. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think if you knew about the case five years ago versus now, I mean, you could have been trying to bring awareness since then. But as long as you know something about an issue and you bring it up, this could help, you know, change laws for the death penalty in the future because I'm a kind of person who I don't really agree with the death penalty. I don't see what the purpose is. So something like this could kind of make it so that the death penalty is abolished or they try to change the way the laws are kind of sanctioned around the death penalty because I think that this issue is more than just a race issue. It's more than just a legal issue. It's kind of deep on multiple levels. So kind of bringing awareness on the, on the racial aspect, the legal aspect, you know, whether you knew about it or not, it definitely kind of brings awareness to it. So hopefully, people in power can change it, because uh, there's a lot of a lot of tweets about it, a lot of political commentators kind of supporting Troy Davis just in those last three days. So mm-hmm. I think that definitely kind of a positive impact, no matter if you knew about it or not. Well, you um, briefly said that you think that it's more than um, racial or legal. You said that it's multiple levels. Um, can right. you describe what one of those levels are? I think another level is that uh, I kind of touched on it earlier, like the, the social economic status, because, you know, it doesn't seem like you came from a lot of money, and I feel like mm-hmm. if you would have switched roles, if it was maybe a rich white man that was in the same situation, would this have been different? It kind of it might have been different just because of the circumstances. You know, he couldn't afford the, the best lawyers. He couldn't afford, you know, some of the things that maybe somebody in a different position could have, you know, had the opportunity to gain just because, you know, he's an ordinary, an ordinary black man. He kind of represents an ordinary black man. This could be any black man in America, which is the scary part. So I think that level of it kind of, it's, it's just so deep on different levels that if, if he, if Troy Davis was a different race and different economic status, that this could be very different. Right. Um, the, the first caller, um, do you agree with the death penalty? I, I know the second caller said that he doesn't, but how do you feel about the death penalty? Um, I don't agree with it on some levels. Uh, I feel like 
it really, it costs way more money to have somebody on death row for 20 years or more than it does to send somebody to school. So I feel like, no, not really. Um, but I, then again, it costs a lot of money to have somebody sitting in jail for life also. So uh, there there are certain things I agree with the death penalty about, but other than that, I really don't feel like it's our job to kill anybody. I feel like that's God's decision in the, the long run. Right. And also, um, a lot of people just feel that it's a race issue, but um, it's been kind of controversial with that because some people say that how can it be a race issue if some of the prosecutors are black and it wasn't just like a whole Caucasian team of prosecutors. So what do you feel? Do you feel that it was solely a race issue or it's just, you know, lack of evidence that he just didn't have the right lawyer? What do you think about it? Um, I I agree with Jeremy. I don't think that he had the right lawyers. Um, race, really, and it may play a part in it, but then again, it no, it's not that big of a deal. If he had the right lawyers, he had money. I feel like he would have got off a little easier. Um, but race may play some some type of role in this, but it's definitely not a really huge huge deal. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's the the main factor of this whole case. I know with I know with most most issues in the United States with a big a big case like this, race does play a factor. That's just inevitable because you know the country is you know it's a lot of racist kind of principles kind of within to building the country, slavery and whatnot. So I think a lot of big issues, race always plays a factor. But with this, it's not the overwhelming single factor. You know, there's different issues that go along with you know, the, how big this case got. So, you know, the fact that he was black had something to do with it, but it wasn't the determining, you know, end-all, be-all factor for this case. Okay. Um, are you two both familiar with the... Um, Casey Anthony case? Yes. Yeah. Um, do you think that there was some correlation to that? Because, um, as you know, she was um, she was actually, she wasn't convicted for the murder of her, um, for her child. Um, they had circumstantial evidence or whatever, and they didn't say she wasn't charged for murder. And the same thing with Troy Davis, he had circumstantial evidence, but yet he was still, you know, charged with murder and got the death penalty. So how do you think, do you, or do you think that there is any correlation between Casey Anthony case and Detroit Davis case? I think uh, there's a bit of a... Uh, Go ahead. Uh, okay. Um, I think there is a bit of a correlation, but at the same time, there you can't really compare them just because... I think, you know, we it kind of comes back to just how flawed the judicial system is in the first place because it's similar, but at the same time, you don't know the individual perspective on each of the jurors. You don't really know what their mindset mindset is on the case. And it kind of just comes back to the fact that a lot of the Supreme Court judges, they kind of stick to the letter of the law. So in that sense, it does correlate because, if you have a judge who, you know, the, the jury says what they decide and then the, the Supreme Court justice is going to, you know, kind of go with that. They're, you know, you saw, you saw with Detroit Davis case that 
you know, even with all the different factors that played into it, at the end of the day, the man was still killed because the Supreme Court kind of ruled that they had to rule it like, like that. It's because it's on the letter of the law states. So in that aspect, it kind of correlates, but at the same time, it's not 100%, you know, dead-on correlation, I don't think. Okay. Um, it, it, I, don't, oh, I, I don't. I don't know um, too much about the Casey Anthony case. I do know that she got convicted. Well, she had to go to court for killing her daughter, so on and so forth. But I honestly think that goes back into the whole socioeconomic thing. Like, she got the right lawyers. He didn't. Um, she got off for something that we probably know that she did. There was way more evidence there than there was in his case. Um, and, I, like, but what Jeremy said, you know, the Supreme Court has to go to the letter, and that's what they did. That's what they decided, so. Okay. Um, I see that we have another caller, um, caller 4029. Did the, did the caller have anything to say? in reference to the Troy Davis case or uh, application? Yes, how you doing? I just wanted to uh, introduce myself. My name is uh, Dr. Weldon McWilliams. I'm an instructor at Cheney University right here outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hi, welcome. Uh, can everyone hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to mention uh, a few things about the Detroit Davis case, and I think, uh, I'm sure that you all probably hit on this a little bit, uh, but uh I believe that the, the you know the Troy Anthony case uh, definitely what it did was expose uh, some of the fallacies that uh, exist in our judicial system, uh, and I think it also exposed some of the loopholes and fallacies that we have as a nation. I think that several aspects of life were uh, you know uh, touched upon in that uh, in the whole Troy Davis situation. I think race, class. Uh, all of that, and even gender on some level. When we talk about uh, the Casey Anthony and, and, and the Troy Davis situation, I think that even gender sometimes plays a role in the mind of how we uh, sentence. Um, so I think that we saw all these factors coming in and, and for Troy Davis to be a, a black male, uh, working class, um, you know, it was easier to convict him, I think that you know his lack of resources might have affected the law, you know his ability to get a lawyer. Uh, I believe that it, again, if you had a rich white male, uh, that it would have been, you know, if this would have happened to a rich white male, I don't. First of all, I don't think it would have happened to a rich white male. But if this, this holds the back, um, I, I definitely could see that the rich white male getting off, getting another trial, or you know, clemency at some point. But. Um, you know, I think that what we saw uh, with the Troy Davis uh, fiasco is that there's definitely loopholes in our system. Not loopholes, there's problems in our judicial system. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that, you know, race, class, and gender played a role. It was easy, not to just, you know, easy, he's black, but, you know, black men are the face of criminality in our nation, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever you turn on the news, whenever you talk of crime, whenever you watch a movie, I mean, the face of criminality in our nation typically is the black male. Uh, and, that you know, I'm sure that that even played a role. Think about, tw- you know, 20 years ago when he was sentenced, you know, this black man. And he, I don't think it was a small guy. He wasn't a big, big guy, but he, I don't think he was a small guy. But just, you know, a black man to be on the scene because he did admit to being on the scene. 
you know, I just think it was, uh, you know, it was even easier to convict him back then. But, you know, to get to the point where you have all this evidence, the witnesses recanting their stories, uh, even two jurors, you know, original jurors who sentenced him, they, you know, they testified to the board that had they known the things that they know now, they would have never sentenced him or, you know, made, uh, pronounced him guilty. And I just think mm-hmm. when you have that much uproar and that much uncertainty and for you still not to uh, find a way to, you know, grant clemency or give him a retrial, that I think that mm-hmm. is the biggest, uh, that's the biggest, um, you know, a mistrial. You see the biggest uh, violation of justice. So that's my take on the whole Troy Davis situation. Thank you. I appreciate that, and um, I agree with you. Um, Thank you. But um, to go on to the um, other questions of the Troy Davis execution in case, um, do you guys feel, and um, all of you guys can answer, um, that this was probably an example to the nation? You know, they did have all these, um, they didn't have hard evidence, they um there is witnesses who went back on their story and this is actually I don't know if you guys were aware aware of this, but this was his fourth time facing execution mm-hmm. since two thousand seven. Right. And with all that happening in in the media so we as viewers see it, do you think that maybe the um public officials or, you know, the police force did this as an example with even like when you don't even have enough evidence and it's um, clear that you didn't, if you're on the scene and one of the people in the police force gets killed, you're already you're already just like guilty by association type of thing. Do you think they kind of made it more of an example to the nation than doing what was politically correct? I kind of um, I kind of see where you're going with that. I think because. A cop was killed. That was a, a major factor because, you know, a cop was killed. So they kind of wanted to make it seem like the person. We need to find somebody who did this, no matter what, and we want to convict right. that person and convict them to the death penalty. I think that had a lot to do with it, just because of a police officer. And then I know people were saying, well, maybe Barack Obama should do something about it. I think if he ever said anything about defending Troy Davis, a potential cop killer, that would have just like people would have ate him up for that. So I think the cop factor definitely played a large part in them going to the death penalty because, you know, America, is they highly respect uh, police officers. That's just, you know, something that's always been a fact. So they definitely wanted to, at least my opinion, probably persecute him to the highest extent of the law. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know if they like made it. I don't. I wouldn't say they made it an example, um, but I do agree with what Jeremy said. Like, if Obama tried to come in, then they would have tried to get him for that. If any, I mean, if anything would have happened, it would have kind of looked bad. But I, I was reading um, not too long ago that you know, or somebody put on Twitter or something. Uh, somebody kills a cop and a man has to die, but if a cop kills somebody else, they get a reward for it, and. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't agree with that at all. I feel like if a cop is killed, trying to find their, um, I guess, killer in a way, or just accusing some random person of killing that person, I feel like way more things should go into that, just like how it w- they would put it into anybody if it was just a regular murder. Like, if somebody was just to come up 
and and shoot somebody else and bang them over the head with the gun. They would put work. They would put their life or work into that. But if a cop kills somebody, it's kind of just pushed off to the side and it's hidden, and you know people don't really know too much about it. So I, I mean I don't know. I wouldn't say they made an example, but it, it wasn't. If it wasn't an example, it wasn't a very good example at all. Um, I believe that the, you know, the whole situation, I believe that there was a message that, you know, the higher-ups are trying to send out. Um, I, I believe, uh, I also concur with the brother who said, you know, uh, there was a, a cop who was murdered. And I think whenever there's a cop that's murdered, there's always this um, initiative on the law side to kind of say, look, we have to set precedent, we have to, make the point that this is something that will not be tolerated. So I believe that's one of the reasons. I, well, I know that I'm sure that's the reason why, you know, the death penalty was sought after. Um, but I think we still, you know, we still should hold them accountable, make sure that you have the right person if you're going to look for who the, the murderer is. Make sure you have a, the right person. Uh, but I think a message was sent off, and if it wasn't intentionally set, sent, uh, there is a message that I know I took from it. Uh, you know, and the message I got from it was, you know, you don't even have to be guilty if you're just around the scene of a crime where mm-hmm. a cop is murdered or somebody else is murdered. You could be put to death. That's the message right. that I got from it. And I think that's a, a you know, a, that's a dangerous message in the sense that it's not even, it's not important if we got the right person. It's like, it's it's just did we get a person, you know, somebody who was on the scene? We don't know if this was the person who committed the murder. So it's almost like be careful where you go, watch where you're going. You just might be at the wrong place at the wrong time, and being at that wrong place at the wrong time could cost you your life. And not in a sense, it could cost you your life in the sense that the judicial system will make sure that, you know, your life comes to an end. So that's the message I received, and I think that message is kind of dangerous. And But it, it did... You know, that's the message I received, that it it doesn't even have to be the right person. We don't even have to be 100% sure. You know, we just have to have eyewitness accounts. We just have to know that you were in the area, you were on the scene. And if that's the case, then, you know, we're, we're pretty good with putting you to death. And I think that message is a very dangerous message. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there was also things that I saw on Facebook and um, on the news where people had um, – T-shirts and even on their Facebook profile um, picture, they said, "I am Troy Davis." Um, I am Troy Davis. What do you think the message was in that? Uh, I can go. Uh, I think it just kind of speaks to the fact that you know Troy Davis could have been anybody, uh, especially you know your average black male, you know, caught at the wrong place at the wrong time, as the, the doctor just said. It just kind of speaks to the fact that, you know, the United States will, I don't know, know, that, you know, he represented anybody. You know, anybody could have been Mm -hmm. this man, just as this Burger King, you know, typical night, and then the situation went down. So I think that's what it kind of spoke to. I didn't really see too much of it. I saw a couple people, but I guess that's, you know, what that's supposed to represent. Yeah, I agree. Um, it basically could have been anybody. Like I said, you know, there are people in jail sitting who are innocent who could be on death row in the same situation. So, I mean, I agree fully. 
Okay. And from the people side, who said, "Look, man, I, I, I'm, I'm going to identify with Troy Davis." And as the brother said, "This could have been me, but you know, I need to fight and 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 have my voice heard as if it is me." So I think it was also a message from the people, also saying, "We identify with Troy Davis. We don't think that what's happening to him is fair, and we want to make sure that justice is upheld, and that to execute this man with all these questions up in the air would be a miscarriage of justice." So uh, you know, I also think you know. It, it it did speak to how, you know, how common, uh, you know, Troy Davis' story is. It could have been any of us. But I think it also spoke to the organization and, and kind of how the community came behind him also. It was also saying, look, we're identifying with Troy Davis, and we want, you know, we want justice to be served. We don't want this man to be executed, especially with all this doubt that's up in the air right now. Yeah. Um, I wanted touch briefly on the fact that they denied him the polygraph test that day. Um, what do you think um, all that was about? If a man is saying that he wants to take this polygraph test and they just deny him, what do you think that was about? I think uh, a lot of it was about trying to protect this judicial system that exists. If this man would have took a polygraph test, would have passed the polygraph test, also had seven out of nine witnesses recant their story. It just would have looked real bad, and it would have looked like, you know, the, the whole trial was biased and a sham from the beginning. That's what it would have looked like. And I also think this is why the Supreme Court came up with the decision that they came up with. I thought it was ultimately a decision to kind of protect and say, you know, our judicial system is still a, an intact system rather than a, a system that is flawed. So... I think that their refusal to grant him that polygraph test was just a way, another way for them to kind of protect the system as it is and give off the illusion um, that, you know, the system is fair and just. And, and you know, I think if, if he would have passed that, it just would have set up a, a whole other set of issues and a, a whole other set of uproars and claims. So I think they wanted to avoid that. Again, all this that they did, again, I, I believe was you know, done unfairly, but I think, you know, this is why they did it there. I think they did it to kind of protect as much as they could what they were always planning to do, which was to execute. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it also kind of just says that, you know, they didn't care. You know, it's kind of like they have a a death row inmate in jail for 20 years, so why would we just now give this guy a polygraph test like me? Why would we give this prisoner what he wants? Like, I don't think they, they cared. It's like, okay, whatever, you have a couple more hours to live, and we're not going to change our decision at the last minute. So I think it just said, okay, we don't care. So it is what it is, <laughs> in a more ruthless kind of way. Um, I don't want to speak too much on the polygraph test because I'm not sure whether or not this is true, but... um. I heard that earlier, early on, he didn't want to take one, and then when he asked, they denied it. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what went on. I do agree that you know it wasn't right for them to deny it when he wanted to take it. But I, as far as that goes, I w- I need to read more on whether or not you know when he was offered it earlier, did he take that that chance. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. But I think also 
if we keep in mind, what is the goal of this? Was their goal really to find the perpetrator or was their goal to just get anybody? And I think if your goal is to find the actual murderer, if you're really trying to find the actual perpetrator, in my mind, it wouldn't make a difference when the defendant says he wants to take or she wants to take the polygraph test. If your motivation is to find the, you know, the real, you know, uh, perpetrator of the crime. So even if he denied it 20 years ago, let's say, and I'm not sure, but that's a good, that's, that is something to research. But even if he did deny it 20 years ago, and then at some point later on he says, you know what, I'll take a polygraph test. If, if my true intent is to find the perpetrator of the crime, the real criminal, then I'm going to say, okay, take this polygraph test. Um, so I think that's always a question that we have to ask, and that's the question I'm asking, because I don't believe that they were, I think at some point it didn't matter if they got the right person. I just think it mattered for them that it looked like they got a person. And, yeah. you know, sometimes getting a person and getting the right person are two different people. So, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that with the whole case, they definitely wanted to get the, right, the just get a person, not necessarily the right person. That's right. Um, as a final question for this session, um, Individually, like personally, in your life, in your community, or um, at your school, how do you feel the Troy Davis affected you personally or affected your community, your um, socially? If you guys would just like to um, explain how this case affected you. Um, I think it definitely got people to move, and I'm glad to see that my community like paid attention to it and actually tried to get up and do something about it. And I'm sorry an innocent man had to die, but, you know, we still have to keep fighting. Right. I think, uh, you know, we did lose this man's life, but at the same time I think if we could try to pull anything positive from it was that, you know, a lot of people banded together in such a short period of time. I know we had, uh, I think Jimmy Carter actually even wrote a letter in his support. So I think if you just kind of speak to the fact that, you know, we can band together and support something that we think is wrong in a short period of time. So that was was pretty impressive to me. So I think just the power of people working together. Yeah, the organization was powerful. But now what do you do on the day after? That's what's the most important question, and that's what I emphasize to my students. We need to continue to fight and continue to organize. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you, all of you guys, for participating in this show. Um, Final, as a final thing, I just want you guys to, if you are comfortable, just to um, say who you are, if you like to give what school you're from, and your major, you can do that also. My name is Tyler Hood. I am a third-year, five-year MBA major at Hampton University from Chesapeake, Virginia, and a leadership studies minor. All right. uh, My name is Jeremy Hurd. I'm also uh, a fourth-year, five-year MBA major, Hampton University, leadership studies minor uh, from Chicago, Illinois. All right. My name is Dr. Weldon McWilliams. I'm a professor in the Social and Behavioral Sciences Department at Cheney University, right outside, right outside Philadelphia, and I also went to Hampton in '97 to '99. I didn't graduate there, but I did go there from my freshman to junior year. So, All right. good to hear some Hamptonians on on the radio. <laughs> yes, yeah, very good.
Well, thank you all. As your host, my name is Ashley Carter. I also go to Hampton University. I'm a broadcast journalism major, and I'm minor in psychology. So all thank right. you guys all. Have a great evening. And thank you for having me. Thank you. See you guys later. All right. Thank you. All right. Coming up, poet Maya Angelou. Thank you Angelou. for listening. Let's give it to Sister Maya Angelou, our mother and poet laureate and sister and friend. Give it to her. Thank you, sister. My brothers and sons and grandsons and cousins and nephews, the night has been long. The wound has been deep, the pit has been dark, and the walls have been steep. Under a dead blue sky, on a distant beach, I was dragged by my braids just beyond your reach. Your hands were tied, your mouth was bound, you couldn't even call out my name. You were helpless and so was I. But unfortunately, throughout history, you worn a badge of shame. I say the night has been long. The wound has been deep. The pit has been dark. And the walls have been steep. But today, voices of old spirit sound speak to us in words profound. Across the years, Across the centuries, across the oceans, and across the seas, they say, draw near to one another. Save your race. You have been paid for in a distant place. The old ones remind us that slavery's pain has paid for our freedom again and again. The night has been long. The pit has been deep. The night has been dark, and the walls have been steep. The hells we have lived through and lived through still have sharpened our senses and toughened our will. The night has been long. This morning, I look through your anguish right down to your soul. I know that with each other, we can make ourselves whole. I look through the posture and past your disguise and see your love for family in your big brown eyes. I say, clap hands and let's come together in this meeting ground. I say, clap hands and let's deal with each other with love. I say, clap hands and let us get from the low road of indifference. Clap hands, let us come together and reveal our hearts let us come together and revive our spirits. Let us come together and cleanse our souls. Clap hands. Let's leave the preening and stop impostering in our own history. Clap hands. Call the spirits back from the ledge. Clap hands. Let us invite joy into our conversation, courtesy into our bedrooms gentleness into our kitchen, care into our nursery. The ancestors remind us, despite the history of pain, we are going on people who will rise again, and still we rise.
Rosen. Let's give, give it to Sister Maya Angelou, our mother and poet laureate and sister and friend. Give it to her. Thank you. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.